Well, good morning and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. It's wonderful to have you with us today. My name is Duncan and I have the privilege of serving as pastor here and also my privilege to welcome you to worship this morning. Um, The world is a very confusing place. Um, We have never had more people talking about what's right and what's wrong in the things that we say, the things that we think, the things that we do, and yet that has not at all slowed down the wickedness and evil that is in the world. In fact, our own lives are confusing as well, aren't they? And especially if you're a Christian, you probably feel that. Sometimes we think that um, following Jesus might make life simpler, but it really doesn't. It makes life more complicated. The world is a harder place to navigate if you want to honor Jesus in everything that you do. And if you're here today and you're one of those people who struggles to make sense of what God is doing in the world and in your life even, then you are in very good company. When the Apostle Paul reflected on God's plans for the world and why God does things the way that he does, all he could do was stop and worship. Not because he understood everything, but because he realized only God understands everything. Here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God... How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. When Paul's mind was fried, trying to make sense of what God was doing, he turned all of that back to God in worship. And he reflects on how, rather than us, how other than us God is, how deep is his wisdom and his knowledge. He reflects that God has a plan, and knowing these things means he can trust God. And so as we sing praises to God today, as we sing about who God is, it is to give us confidence in God as we worship Him. I'm going to invite Ushtin, who's going to come and read God's Word for us today from Exodus chapter 5 and 6. If you picked up a copy of the diary on the way in, um, hopefully you will find it printed there. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron went to the king of Egypt and said, The Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so they can hold a festival in the the desert to honor me. Who is the Lord? the king demanded. Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Moses Moses and Aaron replied, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Allow us to travel for three days into the desert 
to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't do so, he will kill us with disease or by war. The king said to Moses and Aaron, what do you mean by making the people neglect their work? Get those slaves back to work. You people have become more numerous than the Egyptians, and now you want to stop working? That same day, the king commanded the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen, stop giving the people straw for making bricks. Make them go and find it for themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before, not one brick less. They haven't enough work to do, and that is why they keep asking me to let them go and offer sacrifices to their God. Make these men work harder and keep them busy so they won't have time to listen to a pack of lies. The slave drivers and the Israelite foremen went out and said to the Israelites, the king has said that he will not supply you with any more straw. He says that you must go and get it for yourselves, wherever you can find it, but you must make still the same number of bricks. So the people went all over Egypt looking for straw. The slave drivers kept trying to force them to make the same number of bricks every day as they had made when they were given straw. The Egyptian slave drivers beat the Israelite foreman, whom they had put in charge of the work. They demanded, why aren't you people making the same number of bricks as you made before? Then the foreman went to the king and complained, why do you do this to us, your majesty? We are given no straw, but we are still ordered to make bricks. And now we are being beaten. It is your people that are at fault. The king answered, You are lazy and don't want to work. And that is why you ask me to let you go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. You will not be given any straw, but you must still make the same number of bricks. The foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told that they had to make the same number of bricks every day as they had made before. As they were leaving, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. They said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord has seen what you have done and will punish you for making the king and his officers hate us. You have given them an excuse to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord again and said, Lord, why do you ill treat your people? Why did you send me here? Ever since I went to the king to speak for you, he has treated them cruelly, and you have done nothing to help them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you are going to see what I will do to the king. I will force him <coughs> to let my people go. In fact, I will force him to drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Almighty God, but I did not make, make myself known to them by my holy name, the Lord. I also made my covenant with them, promising to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they had lived as foreigners. Now I have heard the, the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians have enslaved, and I have remembered my covenant. So tell the Israelites that I say to them, I am the Lord. I will rescue you and I will set you free from your slavery to the Egyptians. I will raise my mighty arm to bring terrible punishment upon them and I will save you. I will make you my own people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God when I set you free from slavery in Egypt. 
I will bring you to the land that I solemnly promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your own possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to him because their spirit had been broken by their cruel slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go and tell the king of Egypt that he must let the Israelites leave his land. But Moses replied, Even the Israelites will not listen to me, so why should the king? I am such a poor speaker. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, Tell the Israelites and the king of Egypt that I have ordered you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, good morning. Um, let me add my, my welcome to you this morning. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm the, the pastor in training here, and it's my privilege to, to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to, to keep it open in Exodus chapter 5 and 6. And you'll see in the diary the, the version of the, the passage that we're looking at this morning is the ESV, and that's the one that I'm going to refer to this morning. Some of the wording in that is really quite powerful and, and helpful in getting across what God has to say to us this morning. So some of the words that I refer to might be slightly different to some of the words that we've had read out, but don't worry about that. It is all the Word of God. So let's um, briefly recap how we got to this point in, in Exodus chapter 5. We've been, we've been working through this book for a number of weeks now. Um, Moses has been called by God. Although he is weak and unworthy, God has told Moses that he is the one that he's chosen to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. But as we've seen, Moses protests, and then God graciously insists. He reveals to Moses who he is. He tells Moses his personal name, Yahweh, I am who I am. And he reveals his eternal power, his self-sufficiency, his unchanging nature. And Moses experiences God's endless grace and patience with him. And finally, last week, we see Moses goes. At the end of chapter 4, Moses met with Aaron, and together they went to the people of God and the elders of the people to speak to them the words of God and to do the signs that God had given to them so that they might know that God is going to rescue them from slavery. And contrary to what Moses feared, and confirming all that God had told him, the people do actually believe. They believe that God will rescue them, they bow their heads, and they worship Him. And our passage this morning tells us what happens next. Um, immediately afterwards, chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, Moses and Aaron go to speak with Pharaoh. They have just had success with speaking with the Israelite people, and they no doubt hope and perhaps even expect similar immediate results with Pharaoh. But as we see, that is not what happens. Instead, in this passage, we have a power struggle. We have this power struggle because Pharaoh refuses to listen. The plans of God seem to be frustrated by the stubborn might of Pharaoh. Everything seems to go horribly wrong, and the plans unravel. Instead of being freed from slavery, God's people suffer more and more. And in what follows through the rest of chapter 5, we are asked, left asking this question, who is in charge here? Is it Pharaoh, 
or is it Yahweh? Is it good or, or is it evil? Who is in charge here? This is the question of our, our passage rooted in ancient Egypt, but it remains the question for many of us today in our daily lives. Who is in charge here? When we look at the news and see the state of the world around us, we see chaos and corruption, oppression and greed run rampant. We see tyrants in control of countries in every part of the world. Evil seems to take charge. And we see it on this global scale, and we also see it locally in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We see young people falling prey to, to drug dealers and substance abuse, children exposed to confusing and damaging ideologies that undermine their God-given identities. We see it personally in our own lives too. We see it in the sinful behaviors that, that cling to us, that, that hook into us like thorns. And they hook to us and will not let go. And we see it in suffering in general. Evil in so many ways seems to gain the upper hand and we cry, who is in charge here? Is anyone in charge? This is the cry that, that rings out from Exodus chapter 5, but mercifully Exodus 5 is not the end of the story. And we continue into chapter 6 and discover there is an answer. But before we get to the answer, let's, let's dwell a little on this question of who is in charge from the perspective of three people. First, Pharaoh, then the foreman, and then Moses, before we move on to see God's perspective in chapter 6. So number one, Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he is in charge. In verse 1, Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh and declare to him, in the ESV it says, thus says the Lord. And thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Thus says the Lord is the phrase used to denote the authoritative voice of God. And when we read this phrase, we know that God is speaking. Thus says the Lord ought to cause people to stop what they're doing, to listen and to take heed. And Moses tells Pharaoh that Yahweh, the Lord, is the God of the people of Israel, the God of his slaves, and he speaks. And Moses delivers the words of Yahweh to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh is utterly unimpressed and unmoved. Who is this Yahweh, he asks. I've never heard of him. I don't know this God. And by implication, any God that Pharaoh hasn't heard of isn't worth knowing. He doesn't know Yahweh, and he will not do what Yahweh asks. He refuses to recognize the authority of God. He instead sees himself as the supreme ruler. He sees himself as God, as all the Pharaohs would have done. But Moses and Aaron continue to speak with Pharaoh and say, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to God, or else he may fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Now the us to whom they're referring, the us upon whom God will fall in verse 3, although it's not explicit here, includes Pharaoh himself. And indeed, we will see God fall upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians with pestilence and sword through the plagues that will follow later in this story. 
But Pharaoh is not disposed to listen to God. He's no concern what this God may do to him or anyone else for that matter. Instead, we see he becomes enraged and determined to crush God's people under an even greater burden of slavery. Furious, Pharaoh asks, why are you taking these people away from serving me? He accuses them of being lazy and idle. If they have time to think about worshiping God, then they've got too much time on their hands, he thinks. So Pharaoh designs burdens for them to make them too busy for their God. His plan is to exert his ruthless control over them by heaping so much work onto them that they are too busy even to think about God. Pharaoh designs burdens to keep God's people from the worship of God. And there's method in Pharaoh's approach here. We know this is an effective strategy. How often is it the case that that we can become so overburdened by, by work and the busyness of life, heaping more and more and more onto our schedules, that we simply forget about the worship of God. God gets squeezed out. We get more and more overburdened, and suddenly we find we have become slaves to our jobs and to various pressing activities, and we've forgotten entirely about our worship of God and our service to Him. Pharaoh sought to do this intentionally to God's people. Similarly, the the pressures of this world exert a force on us to keep us from God. And too often, we willingly heap the burdens that the world supplies on our own shoulders, and we become slaves to them instead of worshiping God. I wonder what burdens you are under this week that are designed to keep you from the worship of God. There's a warning here for us. Beware the dangerous burden of busyness. Beware the dangerous burden of busyness. After rebuking Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh tells his taskmaster and the foremen to pass his burdensome instructions onto the Israelite slaves. The taskmasters were, were Egyptian slave masters, and they passed the instruction down the chain of command to the foremen who were Hebrews in charge of the Israelite slaves. And we see in the words of the taskmasters and the foremen, the words that they speak on behalf of Pharaoh, here we see more evidence that Pharaoh thought he was in charge. In verse 10, we see the words that should be reserved for God alone. Again, in the ESV, it says, thus, thus says Pharaoh, not thus says the Lord. He's appropriating God's words. He says, thus says Pharaoh, make bricks without straw. In saying this, he thinks he is God, and he wants everyone else to think so too. But his rule is in direct opposition to God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, demands that his people be set free to worship him. And Pharaoh demands they be bound by heavier burdens of slavery. And for now at least, It really does seem that Pharaoh is in charge as we see the people being crushed under heavy burdens placed upon them. And it falls to the foreman to enforce this new work schedule. And it's a schedule they know to be impossible, but they're not in a position to do anything about it. They have no real power here. And we see their predicament in the next section, 
This is our our second point, our second perspective on the question of who is in charge here. Number two, it's the foreman who do not know who is in charge. We see the foreman, the Israelites charged with overseeing this work of the slaves doing the bidding of Pharaoh. They're under his control, working in his service, and they have no control of the situation. They just know that they are not in charge. And they can see that Pharaoh seems to be the one calling the shots. And we see them acting as servants of Pharaoh. In verse 10, we see they're the ones delivering Pharaoh's demands. They speak Pharaoh's words on his behalf. They enforce his rules. They come under his authority. And they also feel the force of his beatings. When it proves impossible to meet the quota required, the foremen are beaten and punished for the shortfall. And when this happens, note where the foremen turn to first. It's not to God or to Moses, it's to Pharaoh. They turn to their oppressor because they see he seems to be the one with the power. He seems to be the one who is in charge. And they still see themselves as his servants. In verse 15, three times they refer to themselves as your servants when they come to Pharaoh and look for mercy from him. They come and ask him, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Behold, your servants are beaten. They come to Pharaoh calling themselves his servants and they cry to him to lift their burden. But we see that Pharaoh is a harsh and a cruel master and he does not care for them. They cry to him and he once more rebukes them as lazy and idle and commands them to return to their labor of making bricks without straw. Their load will not be lightened one bit by him. They go to Pharaoh thinking he's in charge. They look to him for help and they find nothing but trouble, we see in verse 19. And this is an eye-opener for the foreman. They know now that there is no hope in looking to Pharaoh to help. They know they are in trouble. So they turn to Moses and Aaron. But again, we see they don't go to, to Moses for help. Instead, they go angrily and accuse him of causing this trouble in verse 21. The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. They are, they're also confused about where to turn because they don't appear to know whose they are. On the one hand, they act and identify as servants of Pharaoh, yet at the same time, we see that they seem to know they are really God's people. And we see that from from what Pharaoh says in rebuke to them in verse 17. Pharaoh is so angry in verse 17 because the four men were saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So the four men have been speaking both the words of Pharaoh and the words of the Lord. They say both, thus says the Lord in one breath and thus says Pharaoh in the next. They're living a double life they do not know who is really in charge. They just know they aren't. And so they went to Pharaoh for help instead of God. And then they call on God to judge Moses instead of Pharaoh. The foremen are going to all the wrong places and asking all of the wrong things from all of the wrong people because they really don't know who is in charge. They don't know 
who is in charge, and they don't know whose they are, and they don't know who to serve. I wonder how often this describes us. As Christians, it can be easy for us to forget whose we are and who it is we serve. We can find ourselves caught trying to serve two masters, and this is especially true for new Christians. We can be unsure where to place our trust, caught between the promise of security and happiness that the world offers, and placing our trust in Jesus and the hope that He offers. But this is certainly not unique to to new Christians. We're all susceptible to this. Many of us, for a long time, tried to stand with a foot in each camp, and it's It's like a a, a person trying to stand with with one foot on solid ground and one foot on a canoe in a river. And if you hold that position for long enough, you're going to find that your feet get further and further apart, and eventually you get wet. We've got to place our feet firmly, both of them on solid ground. The foremen are standing, straddling, standing between two masters, and they find themselves in trouble. And Jesus warns us that we can do this with with relying on money. He says we can seek to rely on both money and God, but it's an impossible scenario for us to maintain. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. We see here that the foremen are reeling in desperation and don't know where to turn to. They've tried serving two masters because they don't know who is in charge. But as we see next, Moses, he does. Moses knows God is in charge. And for all of his faults and all of his weaknesses and for all of the wrong things Moses has previously said to God, I don't think that what we have here in verses 22 and 23 is one of them. And it it sounds more stark in the ESV. Let me read what it says. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. On first reading, it it may seem almost blasphemous, but Moses, in fact, here shows that he knows exactly who is in charge. Verse 22 tells us in the midst of chaos and suffering, Moses turns to the Lord. He turns to the Lord because he knows it is only the Lord who can answer the question of the people, and it's only the Lord who can help. Moses knows that the Lord is in charge, but, but this doesn't make the suffering go away. In fact, it raises big questions. And so, as we've read, Moses says, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? It's important to note that when Moses accuses God of doing evil, the word translated evil here, it it doesn't mean sinful behavior. It's not moral evil that's being referred to, but simply trouble or calamity. In fact, the same word that is translated as evil in the ESV in verse 22 and again in 23 is translated simply as trouble in verse 19. So Moses is not accusing God of sin, but he does ask God, why has 
he brought this trouble on his people. And this is not a wrong thing for Moses to say. It shows that Moses knows that God is indeed the one who is in charge here. He is in charge not just when things are pleasant, but when they're awful. God has not turned a blind eye. He's not on holiday. He hasn't left the building. Moses knows God has done this thing to his people. God has caused this trouble. And it causes Moses to ask the question that we so often ask when things go wrong. Why, Lord? Why? Why is everything going wrong? And Moses asks, why did you send me? But notice that Moses does not merely ask God why he has done this thing to his people. He shows that he also knows it is Pharaoh by his evil actions who has done this. Moses asks both, why God did you do this? And at the same time says, Pharaoh has done this. So which is it? Well, it's, it's both. Pharaoh, following his own wicked heart, is following the evil desires of his heart. He thinks he is an ultimate charge, and he does this evil to God's people. But at the same time, and without contradiction, God is the one doing this. And there is a mystery here, but we should not seek to, to resolve it by saying, God couldn't be doing this. If we did that, it would make God subject to the actions of Pharaoh, and he would simply be responding to them. This would be to deny the self-sufficiency, never-changing, all-powerful reality of who God is. And at the same time, we cannot say that Pharaoh is a mere puppet. This would be to deny the truth that all of us have the ability to act as free agents, and we bear the responsibility of our actions. So who has done this thing? God has, and Pharaoh has. But who is in charge here? Well, plainly we see that it is God alone who is in ultimate charge. He is the one who is named Yahweh, the eternal, all-powerful, unchanging one, even though his people have not yet been delivered. And Moses doesn't know why everything is happening as it is. He does know this. God is in charge here. And now we turn to, to chapter 6, and in verses 1 to 13, we see God speaks. And he gives his response to the question, who is in charge, with a resounding, I am. God speaks, I am in charge. In the first words of chapter 6, God seems to confirm just what Moses has said about who is acting in this scene. It is both Pharaoh and God, but God's actions are determinative. God says, look now at what I am going to do with Pharaoh. He will send God's people out. He will drive them out. But again, if you're in the ESV, notice what it says about what compels him to do this. It says, it is a strong hand. We see this strong hand mentioned twice at the start of chapter 6, and time and time again, when the Bible refers to his people, God's people, being delivered by a strong hand, that hand is God's. And as we look further down chapter 6, in verse 6, God himself says, he will bring his people out. 
In all of the acts that, of Pharaoh, we see clearly he acts based on his own evil desires, but these evil desires bring about the planned deliverance that God intends for his people. Pharaoh isn't forced to do something against his own will, but his actions in his will, motivated by his desires, are brought into the sovereign, saving plan of God. Both God and Pharaoh, if you like, are both seen pulling in the same direction, but with very different purposes. And we see a very clear example of how this works in the New Testament. We see this very same thing happening at the cross. Who, who was it that put Christ on the cross? Was it the evil men baying for his blood because they were jealous of his growing power and influence? Was it Pilate who was too weak to stand up for an innocent man? Or was it God who knew that this was the only way that we could be saved and have our sins atoned for? Well, the answer is yes. It was all of these people, and it was all of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But evil men crucified and killed him. Here in Exodus chapter 6, God tells Moses to tell his people, God tells Moses that his people will be set free. And God gives Moses reason to believe that he is in charge and he will deliver his people. And we see in the space of just six verses, God four times says, I am the Lord. We see that in verse 2, in verse 6, 7, and 8. He tells Moses, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of history that made solid promises to his people to bring them into a land. He tells Moses he has heard the groaning of his people and has remembered his promise. And he then sends Moses to the people saying, I am the Lord and I will bring my people out. I will deliver them. I will redeem them. I will take them to be my people. I will be their God. God's saving activity is emphasized again. And God continues he says, this is so that you will know I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There is to be no doubt God is in charge. God speaks to answer the question of who is in charge. He says, I am. These are the words that God comforts Moses with and these are the words Moses is to speak to the people. But as we see, the people are now broken they're a broken people because of the slavery that they have endured. They're despondent and they cannot bring themselves to believe. And their despondency, it seems, rubs off on Moses again. He has not yet learned to fully rely on God and remembers, again, his own speech difficulties when God tells him to go into Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. Moses is once again in a place of doubt. And again, he struggles to believe that his speaking to Pharaoh will have any effect. God's own people wouldn't listen to him, so why would Pharaoh? But again, at the end of chapter 6, we see God exerts his 
authority. And he gives Moses a charge or a command in verse 13. He commands Moses to go into Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. And with what follows through the book of Exodus, we see that although Pharaoh resists God, God demonstrates time and again that he is the one who is truly in charge here, and he has no rivals. God's promise to deliver his people will be brought about in a way that will ensure that not only can God's people see he is in charge, but everyone in all of Egypt will. All must acknowledge God is in charge. I wonder, I wonder how you respond this morning to the news that God is in charge, in charge of the world, in charge in bankery, in charge in your life? Does it make you want to push back and seek to exert your own independence, your own authority? Do you react like Pharaoh and think you are in charge? Or perhaps you feel like the foreman today. You know that you're not in charge, but in the mess of this world and your own life, you struggle to see who is in charge. You don't know where to turn to. You may be asking if anyone is in charge at all. Or perhaps this morning you, you feel a little bit like Moses. You do know that God is in charge, but you are filled with questions and doubts. Well, to each one of us this morning, God speaks. He assures us He is in charge. We may not see it now. We may not understand it fully. But God speaks in a voice of absolute authority and declares to us that He is the Lord. There is no other. He is the one who makes promises to rescue enslaved and broken people from burdens that are too great to bear. And the greatest burden of all is that of our own sin. It crushes us, and we cannot lift it. But He can, and He will, and He does. Jesus does this at the cross. He lifts the burden of our sin that we cannot carry. We must accept, though, that we are not in charge here, and we need to know that He is and acknowledge that He is the Lord. Jesus Christ speaks to each one of us here this morning. Jesus Christ, the Lord who is in charge, says to you and me these words of comfort. And let me close with these. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Time to say the words of the grace to each other, um, which you'll see on the screen there, and let this be our word of blessing to each other as we go into this new week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Please do stay for tea and coffee afterwards, and thank you for being with us today.